You guys can be seated. Everybody says, amen. Man, I'm glad to be with you. Do you like my new pulpit here this morning? We're on a construction site because we're going to start a brand new sermon series from the book of Nehemiah. And the title of the sermon series is The Time Is Now. And uh, I've, I've never, I'm really pumped about it because I've never preached a sermon series or a sermon from the book of Haggai as best I know. So I've done a lot of digging and studying and I am really pumped. Now, probably most of you don't know where the book of Haggai is. So I just want to let you know it's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Didn't help much, did it? Uh, matter of fact, if you go to the book of Matthew and turn about 10 pages backwards towards the front of your Bible, you should land pretty close to the book of Haggai. It's only two chapters, so it's not one of those you can flip through it and find it. And if you're pulling it up on your smartphone or your, uh, your tablet device, it's H-A-G-G-A-I. The Hebrews would say Hagi, and that's how you would say it in Hebrew. So we're going to study from the book of Haggai. So while you're searching for that tiny little book, I want to give you the backstory to the book of Haggai. All right? Here's the backstory. Little Haggai history 101. In 587 BC, there was a date that rocked Israel's world. It was a date when both the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, ceased to exist. Nebuchadnezzar rode into town, burnt the city down, burnt the gates down, burnt the walls down, totally destroyed the temple, desecrated it with false idols, profaned it in every way imaginable, took the, uh, took the sacred vessels of the temple back to Babylon, and Jerusalem was left in ruins. Not only was it left in ruins, but he took the youngest, the best, and the brightest from Jerusalem to Babylon. Time flew by. In 538 B.C., Cyrus the Great goes into Babylon and captures Babylon without a shot being fired. In fact, he just totally just overthrows the Babylonian Empire, and now the Persians now reign. And so world domination was passed from from east to west, as now Persia is the world power. And then you find just a year later where Cyrus the Great had a policy of resettling gods in their homeland. The reason Cyrus the Great felt that, or had this policy many feel, is because when he won the battle of Babylon without a shot being fired, it's because he felt that the patron saint of Babylon, Murdoch, was on his side, and so he would resettle the gods and the people. Up to 50,000 people could go back to Israel in this resettlement, Shelsh. Bazar was the governor there at that time. They were under Persian rule. They were not free. They were still under Cyrus's domination. But here they were, and only a handful went back. We believe that in 536 BC that they resettled Jerusalem and they started to work on the temple. It was the first thing they went to work on. A year, maybe two later, the work stops. The temple isn't built. Only the foundation is laid, and they stop. By the way, Cyrus fully funded the building of the second temple in Jerusalem. Fully funded it. But they quit. They had their bills paid, but they quit. 
16 years go by since they started work on the temple. Maybe 14 since they quit work on the temple. And then you have 520 B.C. when two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, come on the scene. They were contemporaries one with another. And Haggai's message was pretty simple, pretty blunt, pretty plain. He was saying, gentlemen, and he spoke to the leaders first, then he spoke to the people. And he was saying, men, it is now time to build. It's time to go back to work. It's time to pick up God's priorities. It's time to do what God allowed us to come here and do, and that's rebuild the temple. And the people got encouraged, and they went to work. Matter of fact, if you want to learn more about Nebuchadnezzar, or uh, if you want to learn more about Haggai, you can go to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and also read the book of Zechariah, and that will certainly help. But now, before you shake your heads at these people and say, what in the world? Why would they stop? Why would they give just a lackluster effort in this temple revitalization problem? I just want to remind you, you and I have done the same thing. You at one time had a, goal, had a God goal burn in your heart. Something God laid on your heart that he wanted you to do. And you felt it with such passion and you felt it with such fervor and you started out. But maybe you met some opposition. Maybe it was harder than you thought. Maybe the difficulties were greater than you were imagined. Maybe it just overwhelmed you. For whatever reason, you stopped. And so before we start throwing, you know... Stuff at Haggai and his crowd back in a burnt down Jerusalem. I think we've got to look at ourselves too because we've all done that, haven't we? God has put something on our heart and we start out with a fervor and then we just kind of pan out. Here's what Haggai says Haggai says, The time is now to finish the unfinished business. And so today we're going to start with a really cool message from the book of Haggai. Not much is known about Haggai. He's one of the last three prophets of the Old Testament. He delivered four prophecies in his recorded book of two chapters. And his ministry, his recorded ministry, only spanned the last four months of the year 520 B.C. But oh my goodness, in his four prophecies, he motivated the people, he he channeled their, their, their hearts back towards God. He got them to refocus on God's call and who God was, and it was incredible. And with Zechariah's help, these two prophets made a clear, hard, and straightforward message. Choose right. Be right. Do right. The time is now. Matter of fact, here is one point message for today. I'm going to give you three points on how to do this. But here's the point of the message today. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Say that with me. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. We live in a culture that chooses the easy wrong over the hard right because the right is hard. I understand that. The right thing to do was to continue building the temple, but it was the easy thing to do to stop. The right thing to do would be pressed through the difficulties of getting the timber and the lumber and, and the resources. But the easy thing to do was stop. And so we understand that the same dilemma that Haggai's audience faced is the same ag- that we face. 
are we going to make, are we going to choose the hard right over the easy wrong? If you're going to choose the hard right over the easy wrong, there's three things you got to do. And they're all found right here in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The first thing you got to do is you got to ask God for a spiritual reality check. A spiritual reality check. You got to be honest with God and you got to be open before God and say, okay, God, where am I at spiritually? How am I doing? I would do this with my children. I would have a parent spiritual reality check from time to time and I would say, okay, how am I doing as a dad? What do I need to improve on? You know? We need a spiritual reality check where we ask our Heavenly Father in heaven, say, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to work on? And I guarantee you, God answers that prayer. You start off with a spiritual reality check. Matter of fact, the first two words of Haggai's prophecy lets you know where these people stood on their spiritual reality check. Look at verse 2. It's going to come up on the screen, but you look in your, in your scriptures. Here's what it said. This is what the Lord of the heavens army says. And by the way, this is out of the New Living Translation. The people are saying. It's better translated, these people. In the entire Old Testament, God always refers to the people of Israel as his people. My people. But now he goes, these people. Oh, they got understood. It was not a subtle nuance. It was bold in their face. I don't know where you stand in your relationship with me, God was saying. I've heard that before. You've heard the these people lines, you know, when my kids were little, when they, they were great, you know. Terry took all the credit and said, my boys were wonderful today. I come home and it's been a hard day. She says, your kids are killing me. And if both of us had had it up to here, we would go, these kids, I don't know what to do with them. It's kind of like we're disowning the whole herd. God says, listen, you're not my people. You're not doing right, living right, acting right. Yeah, I I don't know where you are. And so that guy starts and he says, these people. Isn't that, I, I can't think of anything more sad than to be a child of God. To be bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and for you to be unsure of your relationship with him. God never intended for that to happen. So he says, these people. He says, here it is. The time they have said, the people of Israel are running around saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent his message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Do you understand what's going on here? They went back and they started to rebuild the temple and then they quit. The temple was fully funded by Cyrus the Great who had the world empire and the monies of the world. He was not a religious man. He just didn't want a God, whichever God was the real God. He just didn't want that God against him. So he resettled all of the lands. So they had full funding, but they stopped. They had the call of God on their life, but they stopped. Matter of fact, the only other thing that we know that they built, and this comes from Ezra chapter 6, is they built a bronze altar 
so they could have the sacrificial system reinstituted. So they would go to the temple and they would step over the foundations that they built. They would walk up to the altar. They would take their sacrifices, ask God to forgive them of their sin, look around at the temple in desolation and in ruin and go, boy, this is something, isn't it? And then they would turn around, go back to their fine, the Bible says, paneled homes. Paneled homes. I don't want you to think that these were poor. There were certainly there were poor people there. But this message isn't addressed to the poor of Israel. It's addressed to those who are well-to-do, who have nice homes. The, the phrase paneled homes, we would put it this way, granite countertops, crown molding, big screen TV, you know, on every wall in the living room, you know, amen, man cave. I mean, I mean, this was not, these were not people without means. These were not people who did not have some kind of initiative and drive to be successful in their, in their endeavors. They lived in paneled houses. They were the high-end people. They were the upper crust there in Jerusalem. They lived in their paneled houses, and they quit. What does it take for you to quit? Some of you used to teach a a Sunday school class, lead a life group. What did it take for you to quit? Some of you used to serve the Lord and, 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 and follow him. What did it take for you to quit? You had all the resources that heaven has at your disposal to serve him and follow him, but you quit. Why did you quit? Haggai came with the resounding message that now is the time. It's time to follow God again. It's time to be his people. It's time to embrace him. So if you're going to do a spiritual reality check, let me tell you there's two things you got to do. First of all, you got to consider God's ways. You got to consider God's ways. Go back to the previous verse that was just up on the screen. Look at verse 5. It says, this is what... The Lord of heaven's armies said. If you're going to get a spiritual reality check, you got to get your mind off of you for a little bit. you got to start with your focus on God. So here's Jerusalem. Here's the Israelites. Cyrus is the king of the world. Walks in, takes his armies into Babylon, just takes the city, captures the city without, a, without an arrow being shot. And everybody knows the legend of Cyrus the Great and his vast armies that are all over the world because he owns the entire world. And so Haggai has to remind his, the people of God who their God really is. And he uses this interesting word. If you have the King James Bible, it says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of the armies is actually a better translation. Because Israel would look at Cyrus, this man of power on the throne in Babylon. And Haggai was trying to lift the eyes of the people off of Cyrus the great on the throne in Babylon to the God in heaven who reigns on the throne in heaven. Matter of fact, this Lord of hosts means that not only only is he God and God alone that you sung about this morning, but he is the Lord of heavens are the lord of the armies of the earth there's another phrase context in the bible where it's used that he's lord over the stars and all of the power that has the stars and then he's lord over the angelic realm the armies that are in heaven 
So whether you're, in her, whether you're on earth, whether you're in the cosmos, outer space, whether you're in the supernatural realm, God is still God over it all. There is nowhere you can go, even on the throne in Babylon. There is nowhere you can go where God is not the all-powerful God who rules and reigns in this universe. And if the all-powerful God, the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts, who controls the, the armies of men and the universe in the, in the space and the angels in the heavens, then how much more will he be able to give you the power, the authority, the wherewithal to do what God calls you to do? Not because you are you, but because he is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord Almighty. So you got to look at who God is. He is the Lord, and this is the most frequent translation of the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord Almighty. So you got to consider who God is. You also got to consider your ways. You got to consider your ways. The word consider there in verse 5, it's used in verse 5 and verse 7. It, consider your ways. It's like a farmer planting crops, they do it in a row. You know, it's like putting the seats in the row here. You, you kind of look how it lines up and you want to make sure it's even this way and straight that way. And they're all kind of connected. So you consider your way. So there's alignment is the idea. Order is the idea. So you've got to consider your ways to see if they are aligning with God's ways, if they're in order with God's ways. Sometimes we just assume that what we do, because we're so me-centric, we just assume that what we do is God's working in us. And we don't really stop to see if we're really lining it all up with God. You see, Israel at every turn was taking the easy wrong instead of doing the right thing. Oh, it's hard sometimes to do the right thing. Here you have the the children of Israel. He challenges them to consider their, their own priorities. Their priority was their home. Their priority was their family. You can go back to verse 5. See it right there? Where it was, where they were just living in their luxurious homes, their paneled houses. While the house of God laid in ruins, while it laid in shambles, their houses were luxurious. They were well off. They were paneled. Don't miss his point. When your priorities are on the things of this world before the things of God, then you will lose your focus on God every single time. Here's what Haggai was calling us to do. And he was saying, okay, you want to check out your priorities? You say you love God, compare your house to his house. Do you love God? For us today, we run around and we go say, hey, I love God, but do you love him or do you bail out when it gets tough? See, the easy thing is, is, is when somebody hurts your feelings is to hold a grudge. The hard right is to forgive them. The easy thing to do when your wife or your husband just ticks you off is just to return it in kind, amen, and tick them off back. The hard thing is 
to do what's right. The easy thing is, is to do and live by your own priorities, your own standards, what you want to do. The hard thing is, is to consider your ways, line it up, order it up with what God wants to do with his power, with his might, because he is Lord Almighty through you. Basically, his message that he just keeps striving over and over and over is that the time is now, the time is now, the time is now, the time is now. One other quick point. Anytime you get your priorities wrong, there's always unfinished business. The priority focus from God's house when they went there in 538 to their house. It went from what God wanted to what they wanted. It went from what God had wanted them to make time for to what they wanted to have time for. It was this complete priority shift. And anytime you make a priority shift, there is always unfinished business. There's always something that God laid on your heart that you never finished. Maybe it was a person you were supposed to call, a class you were supposed to teach. Maybe a ministry you were supposed to jump in, a life group you were supposed to lead. I don't know what it is. So when you ask God for a spiritual reality check, man, you are saying, God, I'm ready to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Speak to me. The second thing I want you to know, if you're going to choose the hard right over an easy wrong, is that you've got to follow God's plan. You gotta follow God's plan. This is so cool because in my mind, in my mind, the way I, I process and the way I think, this so resonates with me because sometimes if you get into the Psalms and the poets and they pray and, and it's more kind of touchy feely, man, I struggle with that. I'm kind of like a step one, step two, step three guy. How many step guys are there out there? You know, step one, step two, step three. How many touchy feely people are there? Somebody reach out and touch those folks right now, okay? I mean, they're just, just trying to make them happy. But I need like, I, I do, man. I need like step one. I need this order. I, I need this structure. And look at what happens in verse 7 and 8. These are like two great verses. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look what is happening to you. Go up into the hills. It could be translated mountain. Bring down the temple. Rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it. The house. Then I will take pleasure in it, your effort. Then I will take pleasure in it, your obedience. Then I will be honored in your obedience. Then I will be honored by your faithfulness. Then I will be honored by you finishing the business that I have called you to do, says the Lord. I love it. Step one, go to the mountain. Step two, bring down the timber. Step three, build. I love it. Step one, go to the mountain. Step two, bring down the timber. Step three, build. I mean, after 16 years, the the plans had probably all been lost, and so they needed a little direction, and so the people were probably thinking, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Step one, go to the mountain. Step two, bring down the timber. Step three, build. You know the problem with most of us? Is that we go, okay, Lord, I got step one, two, and three. What about step four, five, and six? You know what I'm saying? Lord, what about four, five, and six? And you get paralyzed, you get immobilized, and you don't do steps one, two, and three. You don't do what you know to do. 
Because you're waiting for four, five, and six. Has that ever happened to anybody? I'm working on my basement. It's been like a five-year project now, I guess. But that's all right. I just kind of put some piddle on it. And I've got the framing all done. It is a piece of work. Because if you were a contractor, you go down there and go, I don't know how it worked, but it does work, you know? And it just... And I, I can remember, man, back just, you know, talking to guys and, you know, because I knew my basement wall wasn't plumb, so I didn't know how you get a straight something off of a wall that's not straight. How do you make a straight, you know, corner? How does a sheetrock look like it's straight instead of some kind of like modern art museum where I got all these angles and everything? And so I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I'd go downstairs, and I'd look at it, I'd look at it, I'd call some of you guys, I'd go back down, look at it, look at it. I'd go back up, and I'd think about it, I'd YouTube some things, it still didn't make any sense to me. I even got my tool belt, put it on, thought that might give me a little inspiration. (laughs) Nope, didn't. Go back down, I look at it, look at it, look at it. Finally, I just went to the store, brought it home, started nailing You say, didn't you measure? Well, I learned to measure twice after I messed up a time or two. But, uh, but I went to the store, got the lumber, started to build. Listen, here's what a lot of us say. We say, God, if you bless me, I'll do it. God says, you do it so I can bless you. Don't worry about steps four, five, and six. Go to the mountain. Bring down the timber. Build. Do what God has called you to do. And steps four, five, and six will take care of themselves. The final thing I want to just throw out there at you is that the third step, if you're going to make the hard right, if you're going to make the hard right, then you've got to believe that God's blessings That God blesses right choices. You've got to believe that God blesses right choices. L- look at verses like 9, 10, 11, and 12. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. In other words, here's the, here's the coming consequence for their disobedience. And then you brought your harvest home. It blew away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, that's like the second or third time he said that. And the third time he said the Lord of hosts. While all of you are busy in building your own houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold their dew and the earth produces no crop. Let me put it in a modern, a Trimble translation. Have you ever just tried and tried and tried and tried your hardest and you can't get ahead? That's what verses 9 and 10 says. You planted your crop and you waited for the harvest, you tried your best and then you didn't get ahead. Why? Because you've misplaced your priorities. You keep choosing the easy wrong over the hard right. You don't do the things that God has called you to do. And when difficulties come, you back up, you quit, you stop. Even though the Lord of hosts says, I have given you all power, all things that you need to do what I have called you to do. You step back and you quit. You choose the easy wrong over the hard right. 
and says, I've called for a drought on your fields. This is the prophecy of coming consequences, a drought to wither the grain and the grapes and the olive trees and the other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything that you have worked so hard for. And they listen to God. Matter of fact, in the next 24 days, do you know what they did? The people of Israel, they went to the mountain. They got the timber. And on the 24th day, they started to build. Why? Because they decided it was time to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. They asked God for a a spiritual reality check, and they got it. They reconsidered him, and they reconsidered their own ways. They followed God's plan. They went to the mountain, brought down the timber, built. And the foundation of the temple that was grown over with weeds and debris and trash was relayed, was refixed, so that the temple could be rebuilt, so that God would be honored, not because he needed a place to live in, but he was honored by their obedience to choose the right thing over an easy, wrong thing. So the time's now. The time's now for some of you to say, God, I need a spiritual reality check. You can look back in your spiritual life and you can see things that you've left undone, unfinished. You started off, man, with a bang and you were going hard after it and you faced a little difficulty, got a little pushback and all of a sudden you quit. Listen to the Lord of hosts. Listen to the Lord who has all power to help you accomplish what he has called you to do. For some of you, it might be teaching a class, leading in a life group. For others, it may be be getting your priorities right. I don't know what the hard right is for you. I just know that most of us, most of us will give in to our own priorities and take an easy wrong over the hard right. And so where are you at this morning? In your spiritual reality, check where are you at? Do you need to just have a little, little meeting with God and say, Lord, forgive me of my, of my quitting. Lord, forgive me of my apathy. I mean, forgive me for just stopping. And by the way, the Israelites never said that they had quit. They would just say the time is not now. It's not time is not now for us. I think it's in verse 3. To build. We got to raise our children. We got to do this, we got a job, and and, and we're going to get married, and we got bills to pay, and and we got scheduled events on our calendar. We're going to get back to building, Lord. The time is just not now. Haggai says, no, the time is right now to be obedient to what God has called you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's the prayer I want you to pray. Let's start with the basics.